When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, awesomes. Welcome to another episode in our Extra Awesome series. Yes, we are in the middle of our annual summer break, so there have not been any new episodes of our regular Friday shows for a few weeks now. However, we just could not resist blowing the dust off of our microphones to sit down and talk about what everyone is talking about this month, and that is Game of Thrones. So I have here with me my dear friend, host of Smartest Person in the Room podcast, co-host of Sorta Awesome, Stormborn, Khaleesi of Greater Los Angeles, <laughs> possible, possibly Mother of Dragons, we don't know, Laura Tremaine, here with me today. Hello and happy summer to you, Laura. Hello and thank you for that introduction. <laughs> I did not know that was coming and that makes me laugh. Oh my goodness. So this month we do, we get to return to the Seven Kingdoms of Westeros with the premiere of Season 7 of Game of Thrones. Now, Laura, you and I are very, very recent converts to this series, like just now have caught up with what everybody else has been watching for years, right? Yes. I mean, Jeff and I started watching it last summer, so it took us a year to do all six seasons, but I just wasn't interested at all in it before then. Jeff had watched them all by himself, and then he just like convinced me to sit down. And so we just finished up in June... And so we are ready to start the big new season this weekend. I can't wait. I know. I'm so excited. Um, Kyle and I had not watched it at all, at all. And we had kind of come to a place where we were like, we have literally no new series to watch. Let's give Game of Thrones a try. I had not been interested in it because I heard lots of people talk about, read lots of think pieces about how incredibly violent and intense Game of Thrones can be. So I was like, I don't know, it's not for me. Kyle had not been super interested because he's not really usually a fantasy genre person. Now, we both like sci-fi. He doesn't really like fantasy stuff. I do. But we both have been a little bit resistant. And we started at Lara in the spring, and we just like blazed through it. I think we watched the entire series, season one through the end of season six, in like five weeks over the past spring. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. That boggles my mind. It took us a year to do all of them. Well, that was because we had to take breaks in between seasons. I had to. I had to take an emotional break. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. 
because it's definitely intense. It really is. And we're going to talk about some of that here in just a minute. Now, we know that of our regular listeners to Sort of Awesome, that some of you are super big fans of Game of Thrones, and some of you have decided, as I once had, that it is not a show for you, and that's totally fine. But just to give you a little bit of background about the show, it is a an HBO series that's based on a series of books from the novelist George R.R. R. Martin. And so the series of books is actually called A Song of Ice and Fire. And the first book in the book series is called A Game of Thrones. And it was actually released in 1996. The HBO series, which is titled Game of Thrones, premiered in April of 2011. And so here we are. The seventh season is about to begin. And then it will conclude with the eighth season. So we're almost to the end of the whole series at this point. And so, like I said, it does. It follows the seven kingdoms of a fantasy realm called Westeros. Um, Various members of families within those kingdoms are vying for the Iron Throne. That's sort of the overarching setup of the entire series. So one of the showrunners, David Benioff, has said that it's sort of like the Sopranos of Middle Earth. So what you have is definitely you have this medieval realism realm with lots of fantasy supernatural elements. But it's really also primarily driven by these politics, these families who are at war with each other. In fact, George R. R. Martin has said that he was really inspired by the British War of the Roses with the the conflicts between the houses of Lancaster and York as he wrote the series. So we have two main families in Game of Thrones, the House of Lannister and the House of Stark. And you can just watch and it really, it sprawls out from there. In fact, Laura, this cast for Game of Thrones is like the biggest casted uh, television series in the history of television. I think in one season, there was like uh, 257 characters in the cast. Oh, my word. And you know what I've thought about is, because it's sort of about these five families total, kind of two main ones, but five families and some of them live in kind of faraway kingdoms, but I realized some of the very most main Iconic characters have never shot a scene together. Oh my gosh, that's so true. Mm-hmm. So on this huge series, like Khaleesi has never ever shot a scene with Jon Snow, or until until season six, right? And with hardly anyone until yeah, until she does. But she goes many many seasons without without meeting the other families. I just think it's super interesting. It is. That is so crazy. And um, it's so definitely it's a series that is so beloved by lots of people. It's been definitely beloved by readers of the books who um, often weigh in with their commentary about how the series is both, you know, how this is, how the series is the same as the books in places where it goes off book. In fact, George R. R. Martin, Martin has not released the last books of the book series. And so at this point... The HBO series is completely off book. They're just like, they're just putting the stories together. Now, of course, it's still drawn from a lot of the world building that Martin did in the books, but they're completely off book and kind of doing their own thing now. Wait, is that true, though? Because do you watch, speaking of David Benioff, one of the creators, he, do you watch on HBO the little special with him and the other guy? No, I, I haven't. That is a must for anyone who hasn't watched the series yet. Um there's like a little, probably 15 minute, maybe like after the episode thing with the two creators. 
or two men, two guys, and they sort of give commentary on what just happened in the episode. They sort of give like some backstory or whatever. It's super interesting, especially if you're the type who maybe gets confused by all the storylines or forgot something that was, you know, that's a reference in the show to something three seasons ago or whatever. They will kind of like bring you, bring all the threads together after the show. Ah, that's so good to know. It's really, really good. And they say um, sometimes in these later seasons when they're talking – and I, I haven't researched this, so I'm just like off the cuff saying this. But they will mention like that, I guess, when they started to diverge from the books that were already published, but George R.R. R. Martin was was still was writing them. And so he would tell them this is what's going to happen. So they're sort of okay. either working with him or he's giving them advanced copies of the storylines. Like, I, I don't think they're wholly making it up is what I'm saying. Right. Yes. Okay. That makes so much sense. That really does. And, and it does seem like he, uh, that Martin has been really involved with, you know, I mean, he's, I don't know that, I don't think he's a writer on the show or anything, but he's definitely been brought in to, you know, um, bring his expertise, obviously, on this whole world and all of these characters. So that makes so much sense. And now I know to actually check out the after commentary with the showrunners. I love it. So I'm going to do that for sure as the new season starts. So fun. So of course, lots of loyal fans of the books and of the series. However, it is, the series has also gotten a ton of criticism for various things through the years. First of all, and again, this starts with the books. Uh, Martin as a novelist is not afraid to kill off characters. <laughs> lots and lots of characters die. There's a cast of, you know, like hundreds of people, but truly lots of characters, sometimes main beloved characters die. And so if you are watching the show, you have to be prepared from the outset of the series, really, that your favorite may very well die at some point. Yeah, I I almost stopped the whole series after the season finale of season one. Yes. It, there's a dramatic death at the end of season one. And that I didn't think would actually come. Like, they sort of say, this thing is coming, this thing is coming. And you're like, yeah, but, you know, it won't actually happen. It happens. And I was so angry. I looked at my husband and I was like, no more of this show. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> um, Kyle is the same way. He did not believe it was real. He was like, it's a dream. He was convinced it was a dream. And again, we're, of course, binge watching. So we just go right on into season two. And he was like, what? It wasn't a dream? That person really died. And so, yes, yeah, you have to be prepared for that. And that definitely, especially I think for people who were reading the books before the series came out, that has been, I mean, that's like sort of the, one of the main things that he, that George R.R. R. Martin is known for now is killing off the beloved characters. So yeah, you see that all the time. Um, it has gotten some criticism for being what, uh, I think it was either the New Yorker magazine or New York Times called torture porn. Because, listen, you guys, it gets very intense. And there are definitely some torture situations that are that will really push, I think, a lot of viewers to be like, I don't, I don't know if I'm comfortable watching this. In fact, Kyle had said that Game of Thrones does like a disturbingly good job of really going beyond what's comfortable to watch. And they don't really shy away from that. So how are you able to watch that? Like you you describe yourself openly as a highly sensitive person. And this show is gnarly. 
It is. It's so intense. There's. It's very gruesome in places, and and for a lot of reasons. Here's the weird thing about me. I am totally a highly sensitive person, and I really was so resistant to watching this because I was like, I don't know. I don't think I can handle it. Here's the thing. For me, I think a long time ago, maybe even as a child. I sort of trained my brain to not be that disturbed about things that are solidly in make-believe land. So I think the fact that this whole thing is in a fantasy realm, there's something, there's like some kind of switch I can hit in my brain to where I'm like, okay, this is all make-believe. Whereas if I'm watching something that's either for sure true crime, like based on a true story kind of thing, or even if it just feels real, like Breaking Bad, which is obviously not based on a true story, but it's very realistic. Um, that really disturbs me because I'm so, I have such a strong empath thing where I just identify with people's, the characters, like feelings. And I, I really, truly, as I'm watching or even reading, experience the, um, the terror or the dread or the grief that they're feeling. And so when it's really realistic, it's hard for me. Any kind of material is hard for me. However, my brain somehow has made this defense mechanism to where if something is solidly fantasy, if it feels really make-believe, and again, I mean, I'm saying fantasy, you can watch Game of Thrones and not be a, a fan of the fantasy genre at all because it's so human-based. It's like so relationship and politic-based that it's very human, but it's still, there's so many make-believe elements to it that I don't know, Laura, there's just something in my brain that's just like, that's okay. I mean, it's really gruesome. It's really gory in places. It's There's some intense sexual violence that's very disturbing but something in my brain is like, it's okay. It's all make-believe. <laughs> See, I cannot get there. And I will. I can read horrible things all day long. I can read horror. I've long gone on the record that Stephen King is my favorite. And I just finished um, one of his greatest books, It. And it is incredibly scary at times. And even though I was kind of scared while I was reading it, I could read it. It didn't disrupt my sleep. Um you know, I didn't really get like spooked in the moment. I can read true crime, even if it's pretty gruesome. Since I've become a mom, that has changed a little bit, but I, but I do still read the genre without any problems. I cannot watch it on a screen, even if it is like hokey, like even if it is silly violence or silly gory, you know, even like, let's say, for example, like the Scream movies. Which are like technically horror movies, right? And but there is a lot of um, gore to them. There's murders and blood and blah blah blah. But they're kind of like silly circumstances. I still cannot. That is hard for me to watch. So Game of Thrones is really difficult for me to watch. There is so much uh, sword fighting and like. You know, they'll stab people through the eyeballs and they'll like like the torture scenes that you were talking about earlier are, are really long and drawn out and bloody and um yeah, I just I cannot watch it. I literally cannot I maybe I'm a visual person or I'm not a visual but I don't know. I don't I don't know the psychology behind it, but I it's hard for me. I can't do it. That is so fascinating because I know you read not even just like Stephen King stuff, but some of the true crime stuff that you read and um, 
have really like gotten a lot out of not I mean, it's hard to say like, I enjoy true crime, because obviously, these are real people. And, um, you know, it's, it's based in reality, of course. But some of the stuff that you read and watch, I'm like, I cannot like you like to watch Nancy Grace type shows before bed. I could never do that. I get way, way, way freaked out. But this, we would, we watch these only before bed. We'd watch like three, sometimes four before we would go to sleep. Again, this, we crammed it all in for no reason other than we just loved it and we just wanted to. And it would, now I would have weird dreams, but I never felt like, scared or disturbed to the point where I was like, I can't watch anymore. So so do you think that's why then you guys spread it out so much in terms of watching? I mean, I know y'all's schedule is obviously different from ours too, so that makes a difference, but you needed a little bit of a breather then? Yes. I definitely would have to take like, I'd be like, I need a few weeks off of this because we would go through a phase where we would watch it in the evenings. We would only watch one, two max, max, max. I cannot do more than two hours of this type of a show. So we would watch one or two in the evenings, you know, for whatever, a week or so. And then I would be like, I have to, I have to take a break. Like I, I'd literally have to take weeks off. It really stresses me out. Like I can feel it in my body when I'm watching. I get like all tensed up and I'm just like, and it's emotional too. You know, it's not just because it's not just the violence, although that's the obvious visual part that's stressing me out. But like, you're in, emotionally invested in these characters by now. Oh, and and yeah. you are, know that the show isn't afraid to kill people off. So it's not like you're thinking, well, you, know, you can't really release your brain. So for me, the whole thing is very stressful. And it's it's really hard for me to watch, like really hard. But I, I powered through it because I really liked the storyline. And I, I like watching shows with my husband and then talking about it later. And we would often mm-hmm. like talk about – the politics or why a character did this or that, like as if we knew them. Not like the create yes. not like the creatively like why would they write it that way? No. No, no. No, no. We talked about yes. it like why do you, what do you think the power move is here? Like we would talk about yes. them as if they were friends the next morning over coffee and stuff. And I really enjoy that. I think that's like a nice little thing, spousal thing, um, or partner thing to do. So and I really liked like the complexity of the relationships in the show. There's a lot of things I liked about it. So I was able to power through it. But this isn't a thing I would choose the violent, yucky goriness of it. I mean, it gets it gets so intense. In fact, there's one scene. Okay, so let's I I just want to pause right now and say we're going to get start talking about some character stuff. So there's probably going to be some spoilery reveals. So if you're listening, and Laura and I's enthusiasm for Game of Thrones has inspired you to actually give it a try and you've never watched before. Just know, like, from here on out, there may be some spoilers. So, um, But speaking of the violence, there is a scene where, and I can't, cannot recall the characters off the top of my head, but um, there's, a, there's a fight and it's like um, um, two men fighting and one man's head literally is squeezed in, like squished by the other character, by the man he's fighting. Um, I actually did not watch that episode. I had fallen asleep. <laughs> Kyle told me about it the next day. And he said, of all of the violent video games he's ever played, of all of the movies, and he has he is not one to shy away from uh, an intense movie, his favorite series of all of life is Breaking Bad. He was like, this was the most gory, most disturbing, gruesome thing I have ever seen on a screen in any context. I mean, that is 
saying something so huge because again he's he's not one to shy away from violence but he was like this is the worst thing i've ever seen well i can't even tell you what scene that was because when there are scenes like that when there's a really bad thing going on that sounds like something the mountain would have done yes yes exactly when there is a scene like that going on i don't watch it like i close my eyes and jeff has to say and i'll have to be like what happened and he'll be like he squeezed his head off (laughs) and i'll just be like okay I mean, I just need to know the factual information, but I won't have watched it, so I can't even tell you when that happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So so I had missed that that episode, actually, and Kyle was telling me about it, and I was like, really? It was that bad? Like, I just, I couldn't imagine how bad it was that my husband was like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I was like, maybe I'll just see if it's on YouTube and watch it. And he was like, no, you really, you sh- you should not watch this. So it definitely goes to some very dark places, not only just like in combat situations, but another thing that this show's really taken a lot of heat for and some criticism for is the sexual violence element. Um, both George R.R. R. Martin and the showrunners and even really some of the cast, uh, when they've been interviewed and asked their thoughts on some of the um, rape scenes, some of the sexual violence that happens, um, kind of the the prevailing thing that comes out from the creators and cast of the show is that, well, it's difficult to watch and it's disturbing, but, you know, across the board, people feel like it's appropriate in the context of the sort of universe of Game of Thrones that, and, you know, it's a lot, even though it's a fantasy realm, it's sort of, um, you know, medieval Europe kind of context to give you a, a sort of historical anchor to hang on to. Um, but definitely people have criticized the show, particularly when the series has gone off book a little bit and um, brought in some scenes that are not in the books, but that include sexual violence. There's definitely been a critique that sometimes that they just use sexual violence as a plot device or just to, you know, either garner ratings or garner buzz for the show. So that's definitely another element that I do have to say that part has been disturbing. I think it's disturbing for anybody, but it's, it's been pretty intense to make it through some of those scenes. Really? I was just thinking, and gosh, I haven't read, I haven't read all the think pieces. I haven't read these things all along because I was always afraid I would be spoiled. So I haven't read them. So maybe this is a very unpopular opinion. But I actually feel like the sexual violence has been handled differently than all the other types of violence. Now, there's some sexual shockers, like obviously in the first season when the first time that you see Jamie and Cersei having relations, that is as shocking as a thing I've ever seen. I mean, not the, not the act, but the, that they're brother and sister. Yes. The incest component. The incest component yes. was quite shocking. And then, but I'm thinking of two sexual relationships that were violent and how I feel like they shot it and almost how they handled it. I felt like was a totally different tone than everything else. One is, uh, Khaleesi and Cal Drogo. Mm. Yes. Starts out very uncomfortable. Yes. And then she falls in love with him and starts to actually kind of use her sexual power mm-hmm. with him and that mm-hmm. and and they sort of end up having a symbiotic unity relationship there. And then um when Sansa is being held captive by Ramsay. Yes. I was actually really dreading – I thought they were going to really show that whole scene. Like, I thought that they were mm-hmm. going – and they they don't. They really kind of – They don't. 
leave leave that scene. I feel like at that point there would have been that would have definitely crossed a line. But they leave that scene. I mean, they they lead right up kind of up to it. You know what's going to happen. They've proven Ramsey to be absolutely horrifying human. And then they sort of cut away from Sansa's face and and whatever. And then you just hear from her later kind of how awful it was and how repeated it was and blah, blah, blah. But I actually felt like they – I mean, you can't handle anything like that with care. I don't even know how to say what I'm saying. But I just felt like they didn't – they weren't going for the jugular all the time the way that they are in the the fight scenes, for example. Right, right, right. That's so true. And I, I do think, I mean, I, I tend to kind of, I can see both sides of this. And I think that in the context of the universe we're dealing in, that it is very true to storylines. And I do think that they handle it well. That Sansa Stark scene is one of the ones that had the biggest uproar. I even remember, I, I'm like you, I didn't read a lot of pieces when uh, each of these series were, you know, being shown in real time, um, just because I wasn't super interested in it. But even even for people who are not Game of Thrones viewers, there was such a, an uproar over the Sansa Stark wedding night scene I was dreading it, too. I thought it was going to be really brutal, and it wasn't. But I think that the main... I mean, it's disturbing. But it could, like you said, they could have taken it to a much more disturbing place because they do take some other things to disturbing places, but not necessarily um, when it comes to sexual violence. And so I think one of the biggest criticisms is that either that whole wedding night scene being sort of um, drawn out is maybe not in the book or the fact that they have they uh, Ramsey forces Theon Greyjoy to come in and like forces him to watch I think that part is actually off book and so people are like see they're just like they're you know basically using the shock factor here at Sansa's expense I mean there's like just google Sansa Stark wedding night you can find a plethora of think pieces on it yeah because it's to me it seems like the sexual violence and abuse those terrible things that are in the show and those are some themes in the show that they are more psychological mm, than yes. than the goriness of sword fights. So like having Theon watch, incestuous relationships, um, the old guy who lived in the woods and just had children with his daughters. So they were all, all of his daughters were his daughters were his daughters were his daughters. Um, yes. They don't ever, I don't think they even show any acts with, that man and those girls, but obviously that's very implied abuse. Um, I felt, I feel like the sexual things of which there are many are just more psychological. Yes. I 100% agree. That's a very important distinction, I think. Yeah. And again, because of that, in some ways it can be even more disturbing um, as you're, especially, yeah, with some of the characters that you have a lot of big feelings about. So, all right. Speaking of characters, let's talk about who are some of our favorite characters. I'd love to hear who some of your favorites are, Laura. Obviously, my very favorite character is Tyrion Lannister. Yes, he's at the top of my list, too. <laughs> um, of course, that's Peter Dinklage's character. He plays a little person in mm-hmm. a very big world that really devalues him for lots of reasons, mm-hmm. 
not just um, his physical differences, but because his mother died in childbirth, giving birth to him. He, you know, gets drunk a lot and sleeps with women a lot early on. And like, you know, there's lots of reasons that that the people in the show dislike him. But as a viewer, I love him. Every time he's on the screen, I love him. Peter Dinklage is a treasure. He has so much charisma and presence. You're exactly right. Every single scene that he's in, he just is mesmerizing. He really is. He's funny, but he can also be very poignant. He can also really convey a strong sense of power. His range um, in terms of acting is incredible. And that just the whole character, the way he's written and the way Peter Dinklage plays him. He is for sure at the top of my favorite character list. So, Also, I love Khaleesi. I love her, love her, love her. I love the way she yes. looks. I love mm-hmm. how she's found her power um, that she was presumably born with. But, you know, she had a crazy brother and an insane dad and like whatever. How she's found herself over the seasons. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, she's literally become the mother of dragons. Yep. That's right. That's right. Even when she missteps, and she has, of course, um, even when she makes a misstep, I am just rooting for her. Now, I don't know that I'm rooting for her over all the things, like to actually ultimately win the Iron Throne, but maybe I am. I don't know. I love her. Um, I've really loved her different storylines with her original husband, um, with her sort of sidekick guy who I think is mm-hmm. very handsome, that man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's also at the top of my list. Who else is at the top of yours? Because then we got to talk about Cersei, of course. Of course. <laughs> so yes, I had Daenerys Khaleesi on my list. I, I love, I think you can tell that that character is sort of a favorite of George R. R. Martin. I mean, her story arc from beginning to where we are now at the end of season six is so powerful. I mean, to... The fact that she just went from this meek, virginal, and I mean virginal in every sense, not just physically, but just like this meek, um, sort of precious, tender young woman into becoming this amazingly powerful queen, this mother of dragons. I love her. She's probably, of the female characters, she's probably my favorite. And and, um, Amelia Clark, who plays her, is fantastic. And again, just has so much charisma. So I love her. Um... Of course, I love the House of Stark, the whole Stark family. They're amazing. I really love Arya Stark. I mean, I know that she definitely is a big part. She has some very violent um, storylines. She's So she's a character who went from being this child, seeing her father beheaded, to becoming an actual true assassin herself. I think she's very interesting. And I think that the um, the actress, is it Maisie Williams, I feel like, who plays her, is just, again, so, does a, such a, for such a young actress, does a fantastic job of playing a, a pretty dark role. So Arya has been one of my favorites from the very beginning, too. Now, see, I don't love the Starks. You don't? <gasps> How dare you? Now, I loved Ned. Excuse me. I was all committed to Ned, and then we we lose him early on. <laughs> we lose him so early, yes. Um, and I even liked um, Kat, his wife. Mm-hmm. I liked Rob Stark. Yes. Oh, I really God. liked Rob Stark. I was completely unprepared for the Red Wedding. I mean, oh my, oh my gosh, completely unprepared for the Red Wedding. And I don't love Jon Snow. What? <laughs> 
Are you the only person in the viewing audience? I think I'm the only person in all of the world that doesn't love Jon Snow. I know that we're meant to. I know that everybody does. I know he's a cute guy in real life. He's the only character, literally the only character amongst 257 characters that like seems to actually do good. Right, exactly. I know. Is he too good, Laura? Is it just like <laughs> too much of a good guy? It might be it. I'm like, really? This goody two-shoes again? <laughs> I can see that. I'm like literally like, like I'm the one who respected Tywan Lannister. Like I was like, now he yeah. knows what's going on. And that's why I think I also like Cersei, even yeah. though she is... A monster. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if that's the word you want to use. (laughs) No, but there's there's a lot to respect about her. There absolutely is. She she makes very. uh, She knows what she wants, and she is relentless in making it happen. And I liked how in the last couple of seasons, you know, she she was a little. I don't want to say one note because that's an excellent actress and, um, she, you know, she was at play in some very complicated storylines. But for for many seasons, she was basically just super mom, like all about her kids and um, in love with her brother. And I felt like she was a little bit one note, even though I love that actress. When she empowers the religious people and then it – and. like that uh, was so stressful when she had to do the walk of shame down the thing. Anyway, that's all her fault. Um, And when Marjorie's mom ends up saying to her like this, or Marjorie's grandmother, I'm sorry, is being like, this is all your fault. I mean, girlfriend then takes care of it. Yeah, that's true. That is true. In In a really dramatic way. (laughs) I was going to say in the most dramatic way possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's a fascinating character. I mean, if, of course, I, again, I think you're, you're supposed to hate her, but there's a lot to respect about how she moves the pieces around the board. And again, I think that you can say this of all of the main characters who are women, looking at how they use the power that they do have um, in a culture and a society where they are not often given power of their own. They don't have agency to make decisions about who they marry or um, a a lot of things in their lives. And so when you see strong characters like Cersei who um, make things happen there, you can't deny that that's, that's powerful. And speaking of Cersei, a character who I have grown to like over the seasons and I'm so surprised is Jamie Lannister. I was going to say him next. I have grown to like him too. You know, you start out hating him for all reasons that one should hate everyone um but yeah he's grown on me and it's not just because he's cute although he is it's and I think you I think it's written that way like we're supposed to obviously his heart has softened Mm -hmm. he's clever he's you know I yes I he has grown on me as well Uh, back to my dislike of the Starks It's not a dislike of the Starks. I fully understand what's happening there. I understand they're the quote unquote good family. Like I, it's, I'm not saying any of this out of ignorance. I'm just saying for my own preference level, Arya Stark 
I got real over the whole season and a half or whatever that she was with the man with no face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That went on for so long for me. Now, I Mm -hmm. did like how it sort of culminated. I kind of loved how it, how she kind of proves herself or disproves herself, however you want to look at it, towards the end of that section. Obviously, that's now going to play a role that she has the ability to change her face. But leading up to that whole thing, when she was sort of the apprentice with the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the that guy, um, that God, I guess is what he is. I was not, I would, that he, bu- she bugged, that storyline bugged. And I'm sorry, but Brandon, Bran. I know. Get no. over that already. That guy, that little kid drives me nuts. I know, I know. And that is the one storyline that every single time we're we're following that arc, I'm just like, blah, I don't even care about any of this. I can't I can't even like follow along and pay attention. I always have to ask Kyle, like, no, wait, why what? Did this I I never I always have all the question marks because I just do not even pay attention during that whole storyline. No, so, that yeah, part totally that is, agree on that. It's so slow. I feel like there's not, there better be a huge payoff to that. You've now spent six seasons of him like going through the snow to get to the guy who knows everything. Now he's the guy that can see and know everything. Yeah. And and so what? Like it's still going to play out. You know what I mean? There there better be a payoff for a Stark being able to see everything. Absolutely. Yes. Because we have really put the time in. (laughs) <laughs> on that one for sure uh okay so those are some of the characters that we love and sometimes in the case of Cersei for me love to hate but let's talk about there are some really truly deeply awful monster characters on on Game of Thrones who are some of the characters that you absolutely hate I cannot remember being as repulsed by a person on TV in my whole life as much as I was King Joffrey. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yes. The worst. He was the worst. Everything he said or did, like, I couldn't, and, you know, we didn't mention that he has a really terrible, also implied, not implied because you see the aftermath, but a really horribly graphic um, sexual encounter that was is is quite horrible. But everything that he said and did drove me nuts. And I will tell you at Joffrey's wedding, I was as shocked, I was more shocked by Joffrey's wedding day than I was Mm -hmm. by the Red Wedding. Yes. Which Jeff, my husband felt opposite. Jeff was like falling off the couch during the Red Wedding. He just was like beside himself. And then he was kind of not whatever about Joffrey's wedding day, but just not as perplexed. I was yeah. like shrieking during Joffrey's yeah. wedding day because I did not this happens this seems to be a theme in Game of Thrones. I didn't think it was actually happening. Like I was like something right. something there's going to be an anecdote to this. So, antidote. There's something is happening right now. Like something is going to come in and fix it. I did not think mm-hmm. that there would actually yeah. be a poison situation right there on the stage. Right? I mean really starting with Ned Stark's 
beheading. You really, I mean, you do, you you think this this isn't happening. There's a fix. Absolutely. But yeah, that was shocker of shockers. I actually kind of forgot about that a little bit, but yeah. I know that um, Ramsey is meant to be even worse than Joffrey was and that there's a character mm-hmm. coming that we've already been introduced to that they're touting and the new season is going to make Ramsey look like a preschooler or something. That's, oh that's one of the um, okay. sort of, it's not a spoiler because it's just been a tease, but like that's one of the things yeah. that I've seen about the upcoming season. And I know that Ramsey is terrible and all that stuff with Theon, which we we should talk about Theon for a second, but all of that stuff that shows how terrible and awful Ramsey is, I still, my original horrified heart goes to Joffrey. Right. I think that, yeah, I think that's so true because by the time we get to Ramsey's storyline and in developing him as a character, we have been through Joffrey and he, I, yeah. I don't even really know what else to say, except that he's just the worst. And, and in a lot of ways, I, I, Joffrey is so young as a character. I think that there's it's just so shocking, the, the abject cruelty that comes out of him. Um, Ramsey is a little bit older, but also I feel like Ramsey definitely plays more into the psychological torture aspect. I mean, obviously physical torture, obviously, but... The psychological aspect of it is is very disturbing with him, too. Ugh. Where are you on Theon and his sister? So he was, he was tortured and thinks his name is um, whatever he thinks his name is. And then Ramsey's – so you, you aren't – we don't even have to talk about him if you're not prepared to. But, like, Wait. what's confusing about me for Theon is we don't know where he is right now. Is he back to being Theon Greyjoy yes. or is he – um, right, right, right. I have these like fears that he's gonna that he's playing a, a game and it's gonna end up having is secretly gonna be on Ramsey's side because he's been brainwashed. Right. Yes, exactly. I totally forgot about that. There's so many characters and so many storylines. And when you cram it in the way we did, uh, some of it you you kind of lose the thread on some of them. But yes, I totally forgot about that. Um, the, the Theon thing, definitely there, there could be that element. You just really from the beginning with him, it's been like so unclear. What are his motivations? What is he doing with all of this? And yeah, on whose side is he going to end up? Um, yeah. And some, just like some of the most disturbing scenes in Game of Thrones, I feel like are, um, his torture at the hands of Ramsey. Just, ugh. the psychological element of that whole thing is... That that's enough to to keep you bothered for for a little while for sure. Well, why has no one mentioned Sansa? Sansa's amazing, but here's the thing: like I love Sansa, but I don't know. I feel like Sansa's time. I feel like her time is coming. I feel like we kind of seen hints of that as we get ready for season seven. I think that she's really going to come into embodying who she is as a Stark, who she is as a woman, what she's capable of, like kind of finding her power. I feel like she has not quite gotten there yet. I mean, she, good Lord, she's endured a lot, but almost in a more passive way, I feel like, than some of the other female characters. So I think and hope for Sansa that in the coming seasons that she really steps out in some more assertive ways. What do you think? Do you like Sansa? I'm only newly on board with Sansa. I mean, newly meaning maybe the last two seasons, not like yeah, yeah. super new. But 
she's meant to be annoying at the beginning. She is that sort of whiny. Mm-hmm. I thought she was too easily manipulated by Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. Although I find Littlefinger to be surprising. Yeah. Over and over, he kind of surprises me. But I just felt like in the context of her world, she felt, I was like, why are you trusting this guy? Right. So I have I have reserved judgment on her a little bit. But I agree with you that I think her power is coming and I am newly on board with her. Yeah, it'll be super interesting to see um, how those storylines really start to come together for her. The role that Littlefinger will play. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of story there still for Sansa, I think. Yeah, I thought it was when she ends up saving, when Rob's army fights with Ramsay's army, and in which he's going to lose for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and she comes in and sort of saves the day on that. I was like, oh, okay. Now she's playing with the big boys. And I was, right. I was on board. Absolutely. So... Oh my gosh, really. I mean, we've talked about a lot of storylines, but there's still like, there's like so many that we didn't even touch on. But one of the great things too about Game of Thrones is it really, like you can see these overarching themes. It's not just the plot that, um, you know, like the Iron Throne and um, the different plots that we're following in terms of storyline, but you really see a lot of things that come out. Obviously, the one of power. Who has power? Who doesn't have power? If you don't have power, what are you willing to do to get a hold of power? And what do you do with it? Um, that's a huge one. What I think is super interesting in Game of Thrones is it plays with the idea of good versus evil, but it's very clear-eyed about the fact that all characters, for the most part, are capable of being good sometimes, and they're also capable of what we might consider bad, um, you know, being murderous when needed and or being manipulative, but at the same time can also turn around and, and make choices that we would kind of morally consider good. So I love the way that it plays with good and evil and that it shows that we all kind of have some of both. So another one that is obviously really huge, another theme is the idea of family and how within family you can be intensely loyal, but also feel a lot of intense hatred. Um, kind of the idea that that you're, you have the family that you're born into and you do things because you are family, but then also in some ways there's like the family that you create, um, like the Night's Watch, that whole group. Again, we didn't even touch on that storyline. But the idea that, um, and, and that's true. I mean, that's been true throughout history. That's true in every culture that you sometimes find yourself in a situation that has become family to you, even though they're not related by blood. So, yeah. I mean, what I like about fantasy, I'm not a huge fantasy fan. I'm not anti fantasy. It's just not really on my general radar most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I like about it is the, I'm about to say something really profound. Okay. <laughs> Is the fantasy part. <laughs> what I, I what I mean is is it, it it kind of lets you um you know like characters that you're supposed to hate or vice versa or like imagine you know what it would be like to live in a time that was quite a bit more violent which of course historically there were times where property ownership was decided by duel, 
<laughs> whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, I like the sort of stepping out of any sort of realism and just getting just being able to pretend. And I think why this is notable to me is because I don't have a lot of that. Most of the things I watch or read are not really fantastical. So to me, besides the gory parts, which I've said I hate, but it is a true, it's like a real escape. Like this is a totally different thing. I'm not imagining what would this be like if this were my child or my whatever. Like I'm not imagining that. It's so different Mm-hmm. We might as well be watching yeah. about aliens or something. As far as I'm concerned, it's just like a totally different escape. And I like that. I think that's – I I enjoy that part. Yeah, definitely. Again, that's the, that's really the only way I can watch a show that's as intense as Game of Thrones is, is because there it does feel a little bit removed from our everyday reality. So, all right. Do you have any other closing thoughts on Game of Thrones? You know, we, we just – barely barely brushed the surface of this show i know it's true now listen laura and i are not recappers so (laughs) no that we are not (laughs) don't look to us for um ongoing like coverage of season seven after it begins later this month but um for sure we will want to talk to you about it and there's tons i mean the great thing is because it's been on for so long and there's so much enthusiasm for the show there are tons of great podcasts um there's great online written recaps um that you can check out so that's always fun i do like to read recaps especially at things like them of course we were binging so i wasn't reading recaps for every episode but for things like the red wedding or other major plot moments i will you know go dig up the recap so i can be like wait did i i don't want to i want to make sure i didn't miss anything um so yeah but i'm sure that laura would like to talk more about it as this season unfolds i know i would so laura remind uh, people where we can find you on social media to chat about game of thrones and all kinds of other things i am laura tremaine on twitter and i feel like that's where most of my game of thrones chattiness might go down but i'm also laura.tremaine on instagram and that's my favorite social media platform Okay, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Meg. Also on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can always find Sorta Awesome on Facebook. We're also on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show and on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. So we are still in the midst of our official summer break, but we will be back with our regular Sorta Awesome episodes um, at the beginning of August. So I hope you all are enjoying your summer. Thanks for letting us chat with you about Game of Thrones, and thanks for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.